Hi, I'm Sean. I've always been curious about the answers to life's big questions. I thought it would be cool to seek some of those answers through conversations with others on a similar path. My intention with these conversations is to inspire you to think bigger, to challenge what you believe to be possible. I'd like to invite you to think outside the lines. Hello and welcome to the Think Outside the Lens podcast, where we feature thought-provoking and inspiring conversation with guests who are doing their part to make the world a better place. Now, I start off each episode with a moment of gratitude. I do this because I truly believe it's the best way to live in the moment and that you can't ask the universe for anything if you can't appreciate what you already have. So take a moment to say thank you for some blessing in your life today. Now, my guest today is a New Jersey-born and Denmark-raised writer and inventor. After a successful career in engineering, where he was a contributor to many successful patents, including a medical device alongside his father, he found himself looking for new ways to give back. He believes the dysfunctional economy is the most important issue of our time, and he's taken his passion to use ideas to solve the world's problems and applied this thinking to America's economy in the book Optimizing America. Through vivid scenery, memorable characters, and intense drama, he encourages the reader to ponder hardline questions that challenge modern political punditry, shatter the news in a loop cycle, and change the way we think about the distribution of wealth. Now, our conversation is incredibly timely, relevant, and important. And I hope that the insight we share today causes you to think about ways in which you can help facilitate conversation and drive change in this area. It's time to think outside the lines with Jarl Jensen. How do you define purpose and tell me what you believe yours to be? Well, uh, I define purpose as, um, uh, you know, what you find to be important in your life, what you uh, think is meaningful, what makes you passionate, uh, what makes you excited about living. And, um, you know, it's up to you. It's a blank slate, but you got to write something down so you have some purpose. Agreed. Uh, I think what you're doing out there is incredibly important, and I'm really excited to share your insights with the audience today. Um, I'm particularly excited to dive into your book, Optimizing America, which is, I think it's really important. Um, and you say a lot of really important things about the economy in, in its current state. Um, I'd love, though, if you could start off by sharing just a bit about your background, specifically as it relates to your passion um, for where we are today economically. Well, uh, um I got my education in engineering. Um, I've always had a passion around ideas and, and looking uh, for opportunities to make things better. And um, I've uh, owned a business. I've started a business. I've sold a business. I've sort of been through uh, the process of uh, being successful and working hard and uh, seeing what that gets for you. Um, and, 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 that's all great and wonderful. I wouldn't want to change that. But as an inventor, as an engineer, I can tell you there's something very wrong with the way the world's economy works, especially America's. Uh, and um, through the American history, it's become a global banking system 
and it has significant flaws and it's hurting everybody from from the wealthy to the poor we are all being uh, limited by this banking system that is as many of us might start to recognize things are getting out of control on many fronts uh, from climate change to autism to never-ending wars um, to civil unrest to uh, you know, it, it is it is it is not getting better. Uh, or healthcare, we can talk about. It's all related to how our economy works. And what I try to do in my book is to show people why it's not working, and um, hopefully opening people's eyes up to that the system that is making things worse and worse for everybody. You mentioned that earlier in your career you started as an inventor, um, where I believe you patented you patented a successful medical device with your father, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how did your experience as an inventor impact your ideas about the economy? Well, again, I think um, I guess I've labeled myself an idea person, uh, an innovator, an inventor, um, and what that means is that you're you're constantly looking at everything you do and every interaction you have with products and services and and you wonder could i do that better is that good enough and uh when you when that happens uh you know you you eventually look at the big world and 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 how things are why they are and why can't they get any better um when you look at our economy it's fundamentally been the same for the last hundred years and when things aren't changing and improving, you really have to wonder if it's not having a cost on us, especially the economy. And it is. And it can be uh, done a whole lot better, making the life for everybody significantly better. Um, one thing to look at, for example, is the creation of this pseudoscience called economics. Uh, everything in the universe works according to uh, very uh, universal laws, uh, according uh, sciences. They all work in the same way. Repeatable testing, hypotheses, theories, everything works the same way in the whole universe. Except we've created this thing called economics. And economics has special uh, mathematicians trying to figure out what to do to make the economy better. Yet nobody, none of the economists agrees with each other when we have a recession. Should we, should we reduce spending or should we increase spending? Nobody seems to know. And that is because economics is not a science. It doesn't behave like a science. And it's basically the only thing in the universe that behaves that way. And if that doesn't make you think, why is that? For example, if you know, we, we come across um, a new species or uh, an, an, a, an iceberg that doesn't behave normally. Um, we don't say, hey, e economists, uh, could you explain this to us? Why isn't this behaving like the other icebergs? Or why is this species of animal uh, not doing what the others are? Nobody would ask an economist for that. And you know, why is that? Why is it that we, we leave the most important function uh, in humanity, in our society, economics, to people who can't explain anything else and they can still not even 
uh, properly explain economics and what to do in certain situations in economics. And that is, is be, and the reason why economics is so unscientific, so unpredictable, is because it has been taken over and it is being controlled by a banking system. And what that is incredibly important. That means we don't get to optimize our economy. We don't get to maximize our standard of living uh, for people. We instead are beholden to this banking system that is where its number one um, obligation is to its shareholders, the owners of the banks, who need uh, as many loans to be uh, uh, made uh, to companies and people in order to maximize their profits. This is why economics isn't scientific and doesn't behave like other sciences. It's because the whole banking system has been has basically taken over our whole economy uh, to the point where you you know they even named uh, the 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 central bank of America the Federal Reserve as if it's part of the federal government. It is not. The Federal Reserve is owned by commercial banks. It is actually a corporation that the commercial banks like JP Morgan and Bank of America, they have board seats in the Federal Reserve. And that is the, you know, talk about monetary policy and money flows. That's where it all comes from, the Federal Reserve. And if the banks have control of our money flows and our they basically control our whole economy and you know what people need to understand is the economy is everything to people it, it you know it, it is our ecosystem it is how we get water it's how we get food it's how we get shelter it's how much we pay for those things at the end of the day when you follow the money you realize that the banking system is controlling everything for the sole purpose of just making more loans and making more profits off of those loans. That's it. That is what's controlling the direction of humanity is this banking system. And what that means is that we basically don't have a conductor on our train into the future. It's just random loans being made to produce work and make buildings and, and, and so on. It is all random. And, and that is why we're getting these less than optimum uh, outcomes in our society. It is why we pay too much for health care. It is why we continue to have homelessness in America. It is why 250,000 uh, Americans every year die from poverty. It's why millions of people die every year from starvation around the world. It is this global banking system that is needs to be changed or eventually something will continue uh, to go wrong, and, but to a point where it does major damage. Not that it's not already doing it. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to digest there. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to dive in a little bit deeper and, and talk about some of these issues because I think um, there is a lot of dysfunction specifically. And I, I'm actually really passionate about this topic because I think that it's, it's strange to me that if you pay close attention to the news headlines, the messaging is typically the economy is booming, it's healthier than it's ever been, um, but most Americans specifically don't see that reflected in their income, right? Um, 
when browsing your website, I came across a, a stunning statistic that you said that 60% of the American population has less than $400 in their savings. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. is that true? <laughs> uh, I believe, I believe it's a, for, for 60%, I believe it's a thousand dollars. I think $400, it's 50% of 50% of Americans have less than $400. Wow. The point is even a thousand dollars, if you get into a fender bender, yeah. right? Boom, there's a thousand dollars. And what do you do now? You're, you're looking at bankruptcy. You're looking at big problems. A thousand dollars is all that is between um, you and disaster. And that's 60% of the population. And that's in America, the, the wealthiest country in the world. It is, it is beyond scary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, certainly I, I'm thankful I'm not in that position. But 60% of Americans are. And, and, you know, no wonder they don't have time to say time out. What's really happening here in my life? Why is my life so difficult? The reason why they, they, the American people can't even get to that question is because they have one, two, three jobs just to have a thousand dollars in the savings a, a bank. I mean, it's it's you know, it's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. And the safety nets in America are almost non-existent. Yeah. In the same article, you write that Americans are using credit cards more than ever before. Um, and that spending right. spending broad money replaces the spending that would have taken place later, um, less the interest payments. Um, since people aren't getting raises, it means that the math doesn't add up. Now, this feels incredibly dismal, um, and I personally see these I see these sort of statistics, and I feel paralyzed and kind of helpless. Where can we start to address this painful reality for so many people, and perhaps most importantly, who is responsible for addressing it? Because I don't feel like there's a clear answer to that question. Well. First, uh, let's get people to read my book because it starts with the ideas in the book. And the problem is, and the reason why there is nobody who's addressing this is because Republicans and Democrats, although I, you know, most people hate to hear this, but they're primarily the same. And the reason is, is that they support the federal, the existence of the Federal Reserve. They that which means that they support the banking system controlling our economy outright. And as long as you have, and, and, and that is also true in Europe uh, as well, uh, whose central bank works the same way. Uh, and I can explain how this central banking system was basically exported uh, to, uh, into a global system uh, towards the end of World War II at the Bretton Woods Economics Meeting. Uh, they basically standardized this uh, banking convention that central banks all around the world were controlled by the commercial banks of those countries. And so you standardized this uh, economic system, and we're now getting to a point where it is uh, creating so many problems uh, for society that if we don't say time out, it's it's not going to get any better from here. There are There is no new iPhone. That's going to get homeless people off the street, right? There's uh, drugs are getting more expensive. Why? Because the only people who can pay for it are wealthy people. They don't design new insulin uh, or diabetes uh, cures for poor people. They're designing for the rich people with healthcare and money to spend. So we're no longer uh, using our resources to make life better. We're using our resources to just serve a very small percentage of the population. And that means the 60% of Americans who only have a thousand dollars in the bank, we're doing nothing for you. There's, there's nothing coming down the pipeline that's going to make your life better. And if people don't wake up to that, that the whole economy is geared against them, it's rigged against 
the average American, and I'm talking about 90% of Americans, the, the, the system's not working for you. It is working for the few people who do have money. And what's crazy about that is that if more people have money, right, then the wealthy people would be doing better as well. So why are we living in this constricted, uh, limiting uh, econo- economy? Because the banking system wants to get its money back, right? They, if they're going to make a loan, they want that money back plus interest. And that means they, that they limit the types of loans that they make. That means money flows only go into certain scenarios where the bank uh, can get their money back. So, so let's look at the, the uh, development of a drug, right? So if a pharmaceutical co- company says, hey, we want to develop this drug um, – and we want to sell it to everybody, which means it has to have a low selling price of $2.50. Well, the bankers are going to go, well, at $2.50, we don't believe you're going to be profitable enough. Jack your prices up to $250, right? And you might have a smaller uh, uh, customer base, but you'll be profitable. That's And when, when the pharmaceutical turns around and go, okay, in order to get the loan or the investment from the bankers, <clears throat> um, I'm going to have to uh, raise my target price to $250, and that's why you're getting you know, insulin dosages priced at you know, $250, $500 as, as opposed to $2.50 like they were uh, in the 60s and 70s. So everything, everything you look at, every corner of your life uh, is controlled by economics, and if people don't understand uh, how the economic system is Basically, making their life so much harder, no matter how hard they work, right? There is no solution. Or we can look at education. Why is the cost of education going up so high? It's because in order to get a good job with a high-paying salary, you need to do something that nobody has ever done before for the few people who have money and who can hire you. So you can't go to work for just you know anybody because – anybody, most people don't have money to hire you. Only a very few people have enough money to actually pay you. And that means in order to to meet a need, uh, provide a service to those very few people who have the rest of the world to hire, that means you have to, number one, be incredibly educated and you have to compete against everybody else for that job, which means you're lowering your expectations for pay. Otherwise, they're just going to hire the guy who's got a lower expectation for pay than you do. In other words, everything is set up to be a, to work against um, the average person. The amount of money you pay, uh, get paid, right, is being reduced because you're competing against everybody else. The amount of money you pay for your house keeps going up because, well, well the banks are going to loan you as much money as you can possibly pay. And so will everybody else, which means prices for housing keeps going up and your paychecks keeps being put under pressure to go down. Uh, basically, it's working against the average person. And, and until we wake up and, and figure out how to change that, which is what I try to explain in my book, we're still going to be dealing with Democrats and Republicans talking the same old thing, which is just trickle-down economics. Yes, Bernie Sanders believes in trickle-down economics. All he's doing is just taxing the wealthy and then trickling it down through taxation to the poor. 
And Republicans are saying, well, don't tax the rich. Let the rich spend the money and let that trickle down to the poor. At the end of the day, it's still trickle-down economics, and you're still depending on bankers to distribute money to wealthy people in order to get it to trickle down to poor. It's very inefficient, and it doesn't work. Bernie Sanders or Republicans, both plans, both methods are trickle-down, and, and we all know trickle-down economics doesn't work. Um I love hear, hearing people say that about Bernie Sanders in particular because I think a lot of people felt that he's the they feel that he's the savior and he really, to your point, has very similar economic principles as the rest of them. <laughs> they are, it's all the same. I, I, I yeah. would, in, in defense of Bernie Sanders, I would suggest that um, forcing the money to trickle down at this point with the low tax rates and the uh, and the fact that. 60% of the population is less than $1,000 in the bank is probably better. It's probably better than a, a tax cut. Well, I because mean, as you alluded to a moment ago, when people have money, they spend it, right? Those people that only have $1,000 in the bank, if you give them more money, they're probably statistically at least not going to save it, right? They're going to spend it. Right. They're, they're going to wind up spending it. They yeah. just, there's no, I mean, maybe not $1,000, but the 50% that only have $400, it, I mean, they they need money to spend. Absolutely. They're going to spend it. So in, in that sense, I would say that Bernie Sanders is better, but it isn't the cure. It's like it's 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 where the direction where the economy is heading is 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 only going to make it's only getting worse. We're, it's not getting better. Automation, artificial intelligence that there it's only going to get uh, more advanced. It's just going to be eliminating more jobs. And what, what does that mean? That puts more pressure on on people's paychecks. It, it, they're going to continue to be forced down because of technology coming. Uh, so. Uh, we need to change the economy in order to come up with some real solutions. And uh, the and as I said before, the economy hasn't changed in a hundred years, so it's it's due time we innovate on an, an economic level. Yeah, and my goal, and actually in this conversation, is to find some hope because right now. <laughs> I'm sure people listening aren't feeling that this is going to turn out very well for them. Um, I want to talk specifically about your book for a moment. Uh, I think it's, I'll let you explain why, but I think it's a rather unconventional book on economics. Um, tell me about Optimize America and, and what your objective was when you started writing it. Well, I, I, and, and I'm writing uh, more books. I'm also going to write a, more of a documentary, nonfiction uh, book. But, uh, you know, the, the way the world changes is through stories. Uh, when people... Um, uh, hear a story, they learn the lessons in there uh, because they are entertained and they remain engaged. When people get facts listed and facts thrown at them, it, they kind of go blank. It's just the nature of things. It's hard to connect the dots between uh, facts, and so people don't stay tuned. And so the reason why I wrote a fictional uh, uh, story about a, a, uh, a Justin Wolf, who is a presidential candidate, with a new economic message is that it allows the reader to stay engaged, to be entertained and to absorb these concepts and ideas so that they will remain with them. It won't be just something, Oh, a flash on a web page, uh, that you looked at for a few minutes, right? This book, the ideas, the storyline will stay with you. And that way the ideas will stay with you. And, and that's really what's needed here is sort of a cultural phenomena, a cultural awakening of what is making our, wor our world the way it is. What, why is our world not getting better even though we're so advanced? 
why is my world, my individual space in this world, why is that not getting better? Why is it still so hard when we have all of this automation and all of these wonderful things? If all of America and all of the world doesn't wake up to the system that is holding us down, that is oppressing us all, if we don't wake up to that, well, then eventually climate change will catch up to us. Uh, or biodiversity, the, the, the sixth extinction is we're in mid-process of the elimination of a mass extinction globally. It's happening right now. Nobody talks about it. When was the last – ask yourself this. When was the last time a bug flew into your windshield? I know here in New York and New Jersey where I drive around all the time, when, when I read that question in the New York Times, I really had to ask myself, I haven't seen a bug hit my windshield in years. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? That means all the flying insects that used to hit the windshield routinely in the summers especially, they're just not around anymore. What's, what's happening? Um, there are so many things going wrong in our world today, uh, and it's just a matter of time before one of them really uh, messes things up. And, and it, we get to a point where we get into uh, uh, instability to a point where we no longer recognize the lives that we have to live. And we really want to do something before we get to that point, right? I, I looked at um, uh, autism rates, right? They are becoming alarmingly uh, high as a percentage of, of newborns or of, of, of young people. And it's on a hyperbolic rate. It's increasing at an increasing rate. Um, what, that's the canary in the coal mine, if I've ever seen one, right? They're, that we are challenging our genetic structure through uh, uh, pollution and uh, plastic particles and our, uh, everything. Um, and we've got to change all of these things. And we do not have the tools to change or, or, or a direction as a society because the banks – and the loans that they make in order to create projects and 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 work is just in a in a in in, in a directionless uh, moving in a, in a directionless uh, way, and we need to get to a point where we start controlling our outcomes. We need to control uh, where we're going as, as a world, or we are just going to get to a point where we can't we can't recover. And it's getting very scary. But look, look, I, I know you're saying that you're, 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 this is sounding uh, pessimistic to, to uh, the, uh, your readers. But let's realize I, I'm, I am offering a solution uh, to these problems that nobody is talking about. And I can tell you, if you want to do a 180-degree turn on global warming and start reducing carbon quickly, well, I, my, my, my book and the ideas in it can, can explain how that can be done by controlling the banking system, by controlling money flows. Think about it. If you control where money goes, you control what work gets done, right? And right now, the system works in a way that we do not control. Nobody is in control of what work gets done, what direction the economy is, is taking. All that matters in this economy is who gets the loans, and who can pay them back, right? That's what matters in this economy, but that's not what's gonna help our future. And until we get to a point where we start engineering our economy for a better future, for a better standard of living, for a better life on earth, uh, there's just no telling what's gonna happen. And that's crazy. 
We're, we're an intelligent species. Why are we letting this happen? Yeah, I, I want to talk about specifically, um, let's, let's go through some of these issues one by one and kind of I'd like to hear some of the solutions that you, you have for these things. Um, at the beginning of, the, of each chapter, you actually reference some insightful quotes from the main character who a moment ago you referenced is fictional. Um, and I actually think that that, at least from my perspective in reading the book, I found that actually kept me more engaged. Um, but I want to touch upon some of these that I believed to be particularly important. Um, the first one you said, there's no motivation to address the growing disparity between rich and poor, powerful and powerless. Um, I think this is kind of what you've been alluding to you know, throughout the, the early part of this conversation. Um, I think that we are watching this currently unfold before our eyes. I know that I personally live in LA where the homeless population seems to be exponentially increasing um, every single year. Uh, and and I, deep inside, I just, I know there must be something that we can do, right? Like we live in the, like you said a moment ago, we live in the richest country in the world. Um, we shouldn't have human beings sleeping on the streets. Yep. I just passed a couple of people in New York City in cardboard boxes and you know, what can you do? You know, they're right there. They're sleeping in a box on the street, and I'm just happening to walk by. But it's it's scary, and it's, you know, it's getting cold out there. Yeah. What Specifically in regards to homelessness, like, is there a way that we can start to address this? <laughs> homelessness, yeah. I mean, homelessness is, is absolutely crazy. I mean, look, if you look at, like, San Francisco data I saw, uh, yeah. the average cost for the city of San Francisco per homeless person is $25,000 a year. And that doesn't include emergency uh, room visits uh, that they most likely probably go on. So you're looking at a cost to the city and and, and the taxpayers of, of San Francisco being well in excess of $25,000 per homeless person. Now, the thing we have to understand is that uh, in New York City, de Blasio is spending billions of dollars on um, – on, on shelters, uh, good, but it's a huge burden on these cities, uh, the cost of homelessness is. So it's not that the economy uh, isn't, uh, doesn't care, or it's not that the, the government isn't trying to do what they can for these people, but it's massively burdensome. I mean, we have to recognize that as billions of dollars are being spent on homelessness by the cities and the governments, uh, that puts tremendous pressure on the finances of these states and, 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 and cities. Um, the real solution is to uh, what I call uh, you know, direct deposits uh, from the Federal Reserve. And what that does is, uh, number one, when it comes from the Federal Reserve, it's not a loan. It's just basically what what some call positive money. It's 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 money being printed, uh, in the sense that it isn't based on debt. If you, in, in case the, the listeners aren't don't realize this, that all money in circulation comes from debt. The only way you print money in today's world is if somebody takes out a mortgage, personal loan, uh, credit card loan, or uh, you know finances their car. That money is actually printed by the Federal Reserve to fund the uh, the loan uh, that makes that mortgage happen. Now, what that means is that the Federal Reserve capabilities in terms of influence the economy is incredibly limited. They only have interest rates to influence the amount of loans that are made. Now, what I'm suggesting is uh, what what I call um, well, it's, it's a scientific. It's, I'm sorry, it's an engineering term. It's called control uh, systems control, where you control the inputs to a system 
and then by doing so, you control the out, outcomes or the output. Um, and that's how you control cars, the uh, combustion engine or manufacturing machines and so on. By controlling the inputs to the process, you can control the output or the product that's produced. So if we look at the Federal Reserve and the role of central bank as more of an engineering function rather than a banking system function, well, then you get to a point where homeless people in cities become an opportunity, right? You start giving them a few dollars that's not loan-based. This is positive money. Uh, a few dollars a day. All of a sudden, the shelters become uh, bustling uh, profit centers, Right? All of a sudden, they're hiring people to take care of the customers, the homeless people, as opposed to the homeless people being burdens to the cities. Now the homeless people are all of a sudden creating jobs in the city uh, based on the fact that they have a few dollars. They can – what? They're going to have to eat, right? So that means oh, we need to make more hamburgers. We need to hire people to make more hamburgers. We need a place to sleep that's inexpensive. So now people have to start innovating in a new way. We need to create shelter for people that only have a few dollars a day to spend on shelter, um, and, and, and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, the 60,000 people that are uh, staying in shelters overnight in New York City, tonight and every night, um, all of a sudden you're talking about, well, if they had $6 each, that's $360,000 uh, every day of new spending that uh, entrepreneurs would start to figure out, well, how can I make uh, become the best service and product provider for this new target group, uh, to target customer base. There are 60,000 of them with $6 of spending every day. That is a huge opportunity for the for an entrepreneur. And, and that's how all of a sudden you start having turning a problem into a massive opportunity. But the reason it can't happen today is because all money is based on debt, right? Uh, and, and let's think about it. As a society, if every single person in the economy gets $6 of positive money every single day, is that unfair to any single person? I don't think so. Why, why is it unfair? It's not unfair. It's absolutely equivalent. It's equal, right? Everybody's getting the same, same exact amount. Now, the benefits of it are enormous, right? I mean <clears> – <throat> Uh, homelessness, well, that disappears. You've got uh, city um, <clears throat> city budgets all of a sudden become, you know, into a surplus because they don't have to have these massive expenditures on homelessness and, and other problems. Homeless people all of a sudden, instead of being dependent on, on you know, probably, I would think, for the most part, very poorly run shelters and so on, they start taking care of themselves. They start picking and choosing and making their lives better and finding opportunities for themselves as opposed to being dependent on this system that really – I mean, look, I, 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 am, I, I believe governments have a tough time uh, performing any function. It's just the nature of governments. They're so large and it's so difficult to get anything done through uh, – but if you ask an entrepreneur to take care of homeless people with, with a little bit of money – they're going to do a fantastic job. And if they don't, another entrepreneur is going to do a better job and take the business away from them. Um, so when you start looking at things that way, you can see solutions to big problems in a very simple way. Basically, homeless people start taking care of themselves. Wasn't that a much better idea, having the government try to take care of the homeless people? I think so. 
Yeah, I love this. I think that the problem, though, is only going to be compounded further by, um, you you alluded to a moment ago, automation, or I'm sorry, automation and globalization. Um, mm-hmm. I have an answer for that. Yeah, talk about that. Well, a globalization, trade between countries is a good thing. Let's just, let's just clear that up uh, real quick. I mean, uh, Trump's problem, oh, sorry, the, whatever, the trade issue with China isn't uh, that China is making products for us. The problem with the trade with China is that the American government, the federal government, it has a massive uh, debt. And the Chinese, instead of buying American products, are buying American treasury bonds. Now, if we didn't have a debt, then the Chinese couldn't buy our treasury bonds. And guess what they would use our, the U.S. dollars that, that we ship over to them for their products? They would use the American dollar to buy American products. And what would that do? That would put Americans back to work. Boom. That simple. Stop. Stop the government from borrowing money from China, and you 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 fix the trade uh, deficit problem with China and and all the other countries as well. Now, in terms of um, technology replacing uh, people at work, uh, artificial intelligence coming online and replacing people at work, that is a much bigger challenge uh, than the globalization issue. Uh, globalization is primarily a good thing. Uh, the, the technology is a terrible thing, and we have to look at why technology is even uh, does even competes with uh, human work, right? And, and the reason that is is actually the banking system. <laughs> Surprise, right? So, so w- first of all, there, it's going to be a long time before you're going to have a functioning terminator or a, a robot that can do one-tenth the work and the type of work that a human can do. No, the problem is, is that banks are funding the purchase of technology, robotics, automation, and so on, with low-interest loans. And the lower the interest rate goes, the cheaper technology becomes. So when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates in the middle of a depression, in the middle of a, of a, of massive layoffs, they are actually hurting the long-term employment prospect of the people who are getting laid off. Why? Because those people can be more easily replaced with low interest loans. Now, all of these technologies that are being put online today would not be viable at higher interest rates. In other words, if the interest rates for a robot was 10, 15, or 20%, that robot would be way too expensive, and the two or three or four people that that robot was going to replace would become much more economically viable than the technology, the automation, or the robots. Would they, though? Because, so let me let me chime in for a second, because I was actually listening to a really interesting podcast the other day. Um, the New York Times podcast has, it's called The Daily, and they had this really fascinating episode that talked about the impact of, like, retail jobs, for example. So retail jobs are slowly going away, um, and what they're being replaced with, because people want to shop online, are packaging and logistics jobs, right? So those will soon be replaced by automation, and I don't see, uh, in robots, I don't see a way to keep humans in roles like that indefinitely. Do you? Well, you're talking about the retail store as opposed to the Amazon online, right? Sure. That's one problem, right? One problem is people aren't going to retail stores. If they're going, they're not purchasing things there. Yeah. I mean, it's just more convenient yeah. uh, to, uh, but we, we could, but you know, I mean, that's a matter of, 
you know, what's better? What's the more better experience? What's easier? Um, and I, I think when things become easier for us, that's a good thing. Um, but we could look at the, uh, let's look at a warehouse, right? The warehouses are loaded with like thousands of little robots that lift up shelving or pallets yeah. and move them over. And then somebody's picking out the products that have been ordered and putting them into the box and they ship it. And the robot re- returns the, uh, the shelving to, um, to wherever it came from. And, um, so, you know, the, the, the cost for one of these warehouses, uh, you know, is, is very expensive. Um, and, and the, but you have to look at the whole technology system, right? So the computer chips that goes into that robot, and you know, these are pretty fairly sophisticated robots and they're not inexpensive. Um, so, <clears throat> The the warehouse, let's say it costs, you know, I, I don't really have information on this, but if let's say it costs $50 million and it's, instead of having, you know, 100 people working there, they have 10 people working there uh, and robots have replaced them all. Um, now, if you're paying 10, 10% interest rate uh, a year on that warehousing and the technology, so you're talking about $5 million a year in interest payments, uh, that that uh, technology would be costing um, as opposed to paying two or three percent, as they do today, one point five million dollars in cost versus five million dollars in cost. So, you know, you could take those hundred people and give them uh, fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, and now all of a sudden they're competitive with those robots. Fifty thousand dollars a year for a warehouse job is is pretty good. Um, no, or but but be, but beyond that, those computer chips, let's call them Intel computer chips that goes into those robots that are moving that shelving and bringing the those the products around that are needed or have that have been ordered. Those were made in a billion dollar uh, computer chip plant, probably in like Indonesia or something like that. But those computer chips are to make those to make that one is incredibly expensive. It's in the billions of dollars. Now, if they're building that. Uh, plant with a two or three percent interest loan well that's a lot different than if they have to pay 10 or 15 percent interest rate in other words those chips all of a sudden start costing not you know not two or three dollars they start costing five or ten dollars all because of the interest rates uh, on the the, uh, plant that produces those chips and the problem is once those chips become more expensive then they start going into fewer products and once they start going to fewer products, they become even more expensive. They become unviable, basically. And that means that fully automated plant in <clears throat> wherever Amazon put it, all of a sudden starts becoming less competitive with the, uh, the labor force that, that they've replaced. So in other words, there are methods that we can implement if we engineer our economy to start putting the the human workforce back in favor as opposed to the technology now the idea is to balance it correctly in other words hey I'd, i like ordering on amazon i don't want it to cost twice as much to order on amazon as it does to buy in a retail store but we need to think about this in terms of optimizing our standard of living we need we need there to be enough jobs first and foremost. We need our paychecks to be increasing relative to the cost of our homes. You know, we need these these things to be happening in order for this life to be getting better. 
And you can do that if you start engineering the inputs into the economy. You can start creating the outcomes to the economy that is more desirable than the direction we're heading right now. Um, I, I want to talk briefly about universal basic income. Um, it's a buzz. It's a buzz phrase that you're hearing a lot about lately. Um, yep. I'd love to hear your perspective on it, but also if you could just maybe dive into some of the arguments for and against it. Yeah. So uh, I, I think universal basic income is basically like, like uh, Bernie Sanders on steroids. It's basically saying, "Hey, let's let's tax the hell out of the wealthy, and let's give it to everybody." Okay. Instead of just giving it to the poor or the homeless, let's just give it to everybody. Uh, and it's incredibly expensive, and it does not solve the problems we have with technology replacing people at work. It does not solve the problem of uh, the massive debt the government is building up already. Uh, it is basically, in my opinion, it is an uh, it's aspirin for for brain cancer. Right? You might. You know, all right, let's just start doling out massive amounts of money to everybody and nobody has to work, I guess. And uh, and let's see what happens. Well, the problem is the government's still running on debt and uh, rich people are, you know, who are who are uh, earning all this money has to pay for everybody else just because they're getting taxed. It, it, to me, it, it is. I, I understand it from a Bernie Sanders sort of perspective, but it is it isn't actually a solution to anything. It is just more trickle down economics, right? It's the same old thing, just in a in a new you know veiled differently, like it's fair or something. Uh, and it's not. It's just it isn't fair. Look, people who earn money, they deserve it. It's hard enough to earn money nowadays. My God, um, <clears throat> no. The problem is the fundamental fundamentals of the economy are broken and. That all starts with the fact that the banking system, the commercial banks, own and control our whole economy. If that doesn't wake you up, then you know, I, I, you know, it has to. We people have to wake up to this. But um, don't po don't politicians control this too? Because I, I feel like it's a, and I don't know if it's like a chicken or the egg thing, but you have these lobbyists, right, who are influencing our politics. And then you're seeing, you know, everything we've been talking about today is kind of a result of that as well. Like, wh where do you begin to fix the problem? I'm still not clear on that exactly. Well, well it's very simple. Um, it's, it is about politics at, at the end of the day, but the politicians have to wake up too, right? They have to realize what's going on. Yeah. It, it all started with the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. Yeah, that's right. Over 100 years ago, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 put the commercial banks – in charge of America's central bank, and they called it the Federal Reserve, even though it's not federal. Uh, and why did that happen in, back in 1913? It was because in 2000, I'm sorry, 1907, J.P. Morgan, that's right, the same guy, or the same bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, basically bailed the American government out of bankruptcy. He used his own personal money to uh, bail the American government out. And so, uh, you know, he needed a little favor. Uh, six years later, the uh, Federal Reserve Act of 1913 was passed. And so, yes, it is political. The politicians passed that law in some uh, secrecy, by the way. I don't know if everybody is familiar with the, the Jekyll Island uh, meetings that uh, predated the creation of the Federal Reserve. But those were all in secret. Uh, but uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, the America's largest bank, was the – 
essence behind it. And I, from a from a fundamental perspective, fundamental level, uh, J.P. Morgan. One of the quotes from J.P. Morgan back in those days was, uh, "Money is gold; everything else is credit." Well, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient to the the bankers who sell credit that? Uh, if you don't have gold, I mean, money is gold and everything else is credit that and credit is only provided by banks, obviously, uh, very convenient. But so in some sense, we are living in sort of this shadow of JP Morgan, uh, of a hundred years ago who created this, uh, banking system, uh, that we all, I, I believe it to, uh, well, look, the, the banking system never predicted in those days, automation, right? The, the, we, we couldn't see these things coming, but now that automation is here and is working directly against us, and now that global warming is here and we need to change things fundamentally, rapidly, we need to change the banking system in order to do that. If someone is listening today and they want to take some sort of action, I don't know if it's electing new leadership, I'd love to hear some suggestions in terms of what someone could do to just start to move the needle forward on this. Well, look, I, I think, well, I'd like to think it starts with the books. Um, you can help me out on social media. Um, I'm all over the place. Uh, I'm on, I got Facebook pages or I got, um, Twitter accounts, um, Instagram. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm trying to get the message out there. Um, I, I don't know if there's anybody, I, I, I am, I'm the only person who's talking about the idea of engineering our economy for a better future, as opposed to just letting our economy run randomly into the abyss, right? Uh, it is the only working workable solution. I mean, I know there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things, uh, trying their best, but it's kind of like the economy is this massive juggernaut that if you don't, you know, what's a, what's a good analogy, but, uh, if, if you, if you don't control, uh, the combustion engine in the car, then what good is it put replacing your windshield wipers, right? Um, we need to get control of this economic system, right? Because, because if we don't, we just don't know where we're heading. Uh, and we certainly aren't able to rapidly adjust course when we see that we're, we're causing harm, as in the case of global uh, warming, as in the case of the sixth uh, species extinction. We can change things rapidly with proper controls in our economy. Um, and homelessness, we can fix homelessness very quickly. And we can create massive opportunities. Think about where we find opportunities today. The only place you can find opportunities today is if you target the wealthiest people. Because if you target the, the poorest people or 60% of the poorest people of the population, they don't have any extra money to spend. So if you the idea of you selling a new product or a new service to them, that's kind of crazy. Now, you can target this very small part of the population which has money all over the place. And so that's why everything is just geared towards targeting this very small wealthy part of our population and what 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 good is that doing for everybody else not much yeah i agree i think i, I do think it starts with having more frequent and, and bigger conversations around these topics um and i know you said you're working there isn't possibly enough time today to discuss all this so i know you said you're working on more books i'd love to have you back on the show and we can we can kind of continue this discussion um I do want to ask, what do you hope will be the legacy of your work that you're doing in this realm? 
Well, uh, what, what I'm hoping for is that the story takes root. It becomes popular. It gets passed around. Uh, I'm, I'm turning uh, Optimizing America into a um, comic book series so that it can entertain a younger audience, I hope, uh, because ultimately I think it's the, the millennials that have to fix this problem. Um, the, uh, the comic books is going to be, be called um, The Money Cartel. I think it's a fitting title, uh, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully, I, I can get it to a point where it'll be turned into a movie and it becomes a cultural phenomenon because that's what it's going to take. It's going to have to take this cultural movement, this cultural awakening, to you know the the you know. I, I, my analogy is that we are the frog in boiling water. We just don't realize that the water is boiling, or we don't want to realize it. We see it. Right, but we don't know what to do about it. Well, he, here it is. This is what we got to do. We got to change the banking system. We got to change how we run the world's economy, and we got to do it quickly. Yeah, I agree, and I think that that frog in boiling water analogy is unfortunately very applicable, especially in our current political climate. Um, what has you? What has you hopeful? What has me hopeful? <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, I, I have a good life. I, I, uh, I, I'm working on some exciting uh, projects uh, and my family's happy and healthy. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't have any complaints. My real concern is really for my kids' future. I really, I really scratch my head. And that, they're, they're uh, 9 and 11 right now, twin boys and a girl. And um, I really scratch my head, uh, you know, uh, how's this going to work out? Uh, artificial intelligence coming online, pollution's going you know, nuts. Everybody's, there's so many people I know who have got cancer. I mean, this is nuts. And, uh, you know, I just hope I, my, my hope is that, uh, I, I can wake enough people up so we can change this. Me too. too. I I think you're doing really important work out there and I'm honored to help you share it. Uh, please tell our listeners how we can connect with you. Well, um, yeah, you know, read my book. Uh, the uh, the the paperback is uh, called Optimizing America, which is also available on audio. I have changed my um, my e uh, book version. The title I, I changed it to Epiphany, and I created a much nicer cover. That seems to be um, moving and selling more. Again, I'm just interested in in getting this message out there. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend reading my book, write me a recommendation on Amazon. I only have 10 book reviews so far. They're all good, but uh, I only have 10. You know, you need to get into many more in order for, for the needle to start moving. The, I am uh, advertising on on Facebook, and the book is starting to sell uh, pretty good, a couple of books a day. Uh, that's better than the, the zero that, that it was about a year ago. So um, I'm working hard to get the marketing to work. But, uh, you know, any word of mouth, definitely helps me um you know get get let's get people to talk about this talk to people about this uh, these ideas in optimizing america and and how to engineer the economy just think about what we could do if we could properly control the economy to do what we needed to do for the people that live in the economy why else would we have an economy if it isn't for the purpose of making everybody's lives better and ensuring the future for our kids. Why else do we have an economy? Think about it. That's why we need to engineer it, of course. Yeah, and if you like the ideas, not only share them with your you know, friends in your social circle, but also your elected leaders. <laughs> I think we could do that too. Yeah, send, send my book to them. Send my <laughs> book to Bernie Sanders. 
All right, I'd like to thank you all for joining me today. I'd also like to thank you for listening. Now, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help new listeners discover the show. And please share this episode with anyone you think may benefit from hearing it. Now, you can find the links for everything we talk about in the show notes, which can be found over at thinkoutsidethelines.com. And feel free to drop me a line with any questions or feedback on the show. You can send an email anytime to hello at thinkoutsidethelines.com. Until next time, go out there and pursue your passion today, because the best way to predict the future is to create it. For more information, please visit thinkoutsidethelines.com.